It's not so much follow your bliss, but find bliss wherever you are. No matter what you do, if you can figure out what is fun, what's exciting, what's passionate about, the parts that you're doing, even if you aren't excited about the, the overall job or career, that's way easier, more interesting than saying, well, I work in a factory. But what are you building in the factory? What are you making? What, what is fun, exciting about whatever it is you happen to be doing? Welcome to The Enrichment Project, Path to Purpose, recorded by the mad talent at Solid Gold Podcast. It is a series of unfiltered and insightful conversations with some of the most remarkable purpose-driven human beings who have all achieved, created, inspired, triumphed or challenged. And we have a great deal to learn from them. It is a quest to uncover and articulate the steps along the way to help you on your own journey of purpose. I am your host, Richard Wright, and I am delighted to have you with me Thank you for the gift of your time. Let's dive straight in. With me in the studio today, I have got an exceptionally interesting guest. Um, somebody who's got a very different past, fascinating, some stories to tell. And Bob Reutblatt is one of the foremost authorities on innovation and disruption. He's a speaker. He's a sailor. He's a serial business creator. Um, Bob, welcome and thank you very much for being with me. Thanks for having me. It's interesting when you pause after serial, your guest may have thought that I was a serial killer or something. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear, serial yeah. entrepreneur. <laughs> I can call it entrepreneur, business creator. Yes, thank you very much. I, yes, there we go. We'll, we'll give you that one. The only thing I kill um, so, is the competition. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what we... Um, Bob, for those of you who can see this, those of you on YouTube, a reminder to all of you that you can watch every single episode on YouTube as well as catch every episode on podcast, depending on, uh, you, know, you can pick your poison. And for those of you that can't see, Bob is right now, looks like he's gearing up for a storm on the seas. Um, Bob, tell me what you're wearing. I'm wearing a what's called a folly jacket. This is what I wear on the boat if we're going into bad weather to make sure that I can uh, stay warm and dry and still be competitive during the race. Well, I'm a little concerned about you feeling like you need to stay warm and dry for an interview with me, but that's all good too. Right, let's get straight into the, the sailing. So tell me about the sailing. Tell me where it started. Tell me why. <laughs> why is always a good question. I never was into sailing as a kid. To me, sailing is slow, methodical, kind of drifting on the water. At least that's what I thought. I happened to be at a lawyer's office late in the fall here in the U.S., and I saw all this, you know, sailing stuff on the guy's shelves. And I said, oh, you sail? He said, no, no, I race. Well, now that got my attention because the idea of going sure. fast is very interesting to me. So I said, you know, I'd like to try that, meaning I'd like to try it once. <laughs> he said, okay, we'll call me in spring. We'll get you on a boat. We'll see what happens. So when spring rolls around, I give the guy a call. I go on a, on a small race boat, 38-foot race boat. And I guess I remembered some things as a kid or watching movies or something. And I did okay. We hit the dock, and he hands me a schedule and says, here's our schedule for the season. Don't be late. Okay, wow. 
fine. So I got on the team and I guess I was dumb enough to go to the bow of the boat, which is supposedly the hardest and most dangerous position, but I didn't know any better. So I went up there and I did it. It was fine. And then I moved up to bigger and bigger boats within a few years. I ended up being the crew chief on a 70-foot race boat, and I was on that boat for many, many years. In the interim, of course, I also am an airline, uh, an airplane pilot, not an airline pilot. So I understand uh, winds and weather and how to read a chart and such. So I think I used those skills to help me be a better sailor. Of course, I just didn't know that was really what it was. And that's why I was able to move up. So I got really bit by the racing bug and stopped all my other hobbies and just concentrate on racing sailboats. Wow. Okay. Um, So you mentioned that the idea of sailing wasn't appealing because it wasn't fast. Tell me about this obsession with fast. Well, I guess I get bored easily, which is probably why I'm a serial entrepreneur. It's why I go through companies pretty fast. But, you know, I want the excitement. I want the adrenaline. And I didn't realize on a boat that there is a lot of excitement and adrenaline. Just the boat's not moving that fast, but you still have to think ahead of the boat. Just like in business, we have to think ahead of the competition. We have to think ahead of the economy. We always have to look to the future. So there's a lot of parallels. But I like going fast. I like the uh, excitement. Okay. And then I know when we chatted a little while back, you told me about this idea, the 3D experience uh, of sailing, that it's, it's not the dimensions to it, the water that's always moving. Yeah. So if we look at things like football or rugby or you know, what you guys call football, what we call soccer, the field doesn't move. The boundaries of the field are set in advance. The field is flat and it doesn't change. But with a, mm-hmm. with a sailboat race, You know where the race starts, you know where the race finishes, but there's really no boundaries between the two. If you want to go left, you go left. If you want to go right, you go right. And in addition to that, the playing field isn't flat. It's constantly moving. The winds are are pushing the water one way or the other. There's making waves. There's not making waves. There's, you know, glass water where the boat doesn't move for a few hours. There's 25-foot waves that are helping to push the boat forward. So it's very interesting, as we talked about, the field is actually in three dimensions where every other sport is only two dimensions. So that makes it much more interesting, much more challenging. So take us back to the beginning in terms of where you started off your first career, what that was about, why, and how things changed from there. If we talk about real careers, my first company was lighting and sound systems for nightclubs and discos. So I was born in 1960. Wow. So, you know, I'm a teenager in the late 70s. When disco comes on, I wanted to get involved in that craze because it seemed to go fast. I always had an interest in technology, electronics. So I got involved first in putting sound systems in nightclubs so things would yeah. sound better. Uh, then I started designing like lit dance floors that you could see in the, in the light uh, for clubs wow. that actually wanted to turn the lights on. So I, I uh, was riding the waves of that trend, of that craze, whatever you want to call it. So that was my first real big business. Wow. So riding the waves, no pun intended, eh? And then from there? Well, from there, my next big business was uh, in the computer field, starting distributing printers and cards and paper and cables and things for the the burgeoning computer field Uh, again we're talking the early 1980s so Mm -hmm. uh, computer stores were just coming on the scene most companies had one computer they didn't have them on every desk like we have today so i got into distribution i owned part of a, a retail computer store for a while 
I had this idea that people wanted to rent computers because they couldn't afford to buy them, but they needed them. They also didn't have IT support. So while they wanted computers, they only wanted them for short term and they needed expertise to come with it. But I thought it was a little bit too early. Then during the uh, Super Bowl, uh, January of 84, I saw the commercial for the Macintosh computer. And I thought, mm -hmm. if this little company called Apple thinks that the average consumer is ready for a computer at home, that means businesses are ready to have computers on more and more desks. So I finally launched my, my computer rental company, and that rapidly took off. Wow. Uh, our competitors are companies like GE, GE Rents. So we weren't dealing with mom and pop shops on the street. We were, we were competing with the big companies, big corporations, and I couldn't keep up with the demand. It wasn't uh, wow. that I was that brilliant that my company was growing because of what I did. The company was growing because there was just a huge demand, and I just did what I could to keep up with that demand and to diversify. Uh, my most successful business to date, uh, I designed that business to sell. It was always my intention to start it and sell it within seven years. It was doing oh. so well and had such nice cash flow that it took me 13 years to finally agree to sell it. Uh, the the so. remnants of that company still exist today. Somebody bought it and merged several companies like it together. Uh, certainly their business model has changed over the years. Their focus has changed over the years, but the company is still around. That's quite something. So, you know, when we talk about one of the most foremost authorities on innovation and disruption, that, that's innovation right there. Wow. And the right place, the right time with the right ideas. Well, it's, it's keeping your eyes and ears open to what people are really looking for. If all we do is ask mm. people, hey, what do you want? No one said, go start a computer rental company. They were talking about how, you know, maybe they could use computers to be more effective at their job. Maybe they can use computers to demonstrate what they do or their software to solve problems. But no one said, hey, go start a computer rental company. That was really me yeah. keeping my eyes and ears open going, well, they have a demand for computers, but they don't have IT support. So they don't really know how to install them. They don't know how to service them. They don't even know how to put them together connect them yeah. with each other. So we need to supply not only the hardware itself, but the expertise. Yeah, it's identifying a need. You've made it this far, probably because the topic resonated with you. If you're wondering what the show is all about, listen to the trailer at the start of the season and find out how this show is going to help you along your own path to purpose. You've stumbled on a project that is all about purpose. Find out why the guests are all so vastly different, but yet all have so much in common. Hop on board this journey with me, follow the Enrichment Project so that you don't miss out on a single episode and share it with, well, everyone. We are all looking for more meaning in our lives. If the show speaks to your identity or the identity of your brand, consider sponsoring a season. Let's make the circle bigger. Back to the episode, and thanks for listening. And then uh, from there, what came next? Oh, gee, what came next? We'll just talk about the big ones. Uh, I sold my computer rental company. Oh, by accident, I bought a computer training company. It was, okay. uh, it was really by Nothing accident. <laughs> I, I saw a classified ad in the Wall Street Journal for a computer training company, computer software training company that was for sale. Now, computer software yeah. training companies were some of my customers. So my first thought was, is this a customer I'm going to lose 
or is this a potential customer that I could gain? I haven't been going on vacation for the first time in several years. I asked one of my business partners to check out the company. So he contacted the, the ad, got a response, and we found out that it was a company that we weren't currently doing business with that had a really good name equity, but they were selling themselves relatively cheap. But the guy who owned the company didn't really understand how to run it, so he just wanted to unload it. So I thought, well, why don't we just buy it? It's so cheap that we'll just buy it ourselves. So yeah. I did, and I ran that company also for about four years. Uh, when I bought it, it came with a manager in place, and when I sold it four years yeah. later, I sold it to that manager. Oh, that's brilliant. That's a great story. And, of course, we sure. kind of raised the profits probably tenfold in those, in those four years. So then, yeah. theoretically, I retired uh, the first time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm 36. I retired after selling both of those companies. I did a lot of volunteer work for several years. And then I had my own need. I lived out in the far suburban area. We didn't have really good uh. internet connectivity. Now think about it. AOL okay. only started in like 1994 or something. So by 96, while the internet was already around, it wasn't that popular. So I wasn't a forerunner of internet, but I was early into it. And we didn't have any internet okay. access where I lived. So I designed a constellation of wireless base stations that would beam internet connectivity to homes and businesses where I lived. Sure. So it was wow. how to solve my own problem and all the other uh, yeah. companies like mine. So I started that company and built that up. And uh, uh, I had a business partner. I sold my shares to one of my employees so they could continue on the business. I was asked to solve a problem by an outpatient imaging center, a clinic that ran MR scanners, CT scanners, x-rays, things like that. They had a problem yeah. that I knew how to solve. So the salesperson called somebody who I knew who called me and said, hey, how do you solve this technical problem? Because most people think they have technical problems when they often don't. But I said, okay, well, here's how to solve it. It's, you know, it's fairly technical. I'll design it for you and help you implement it. That project finished. Uh, then the head doctor called with another problem. And I said, well, that's really not a technical problem. That's a business problem. And I can help you solve it. He said, okay, well, why don't you come work for me? And I said, I don't work for other people. Don't, you don't understand. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you do. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. He says, well, we do have an investment group that owns this place and wants to open several more. Why don't you just join our investment group, which I did. And um, I was with the investment group for three and a half years. During those three and a half years, we opened uh, a total of seven clinics. We connected them all together, contracted with doctors who wanted to be in the scanning business. So a uh, MR scanner in a semi-trailer would show up one day a week and scan their patients. And I figured out oh. how to get those images from these trailers to our radiologists yeah. to read and report on them right away. So for several <laughs> years, I was in the medical imaging business, again, by accident, but it was just the opportunity. It's <laughs> a great retirement. Uh, and from there? Uh, well, we sold off. I left the investment group and then yeah. uh, they asked me to come back to do another project because they were still having troubles. And my recommendation was to just sell everything because they're doctors. They should concentrate on being doctors, not trying to run businesses. Mm. So my last project for them was to sell six of the seven centers to a local hospital. 
So I kept okay. my interest in the seventh one, and for another 10 years, I stayed with the seventh place, it was really part-time, working on their technology and helping that business to, to grow and exist uh, in its market. And then about three and a half years ago, I finally sold my interest in the seventh and last of the imaging centers. And now yeah. I just concentrate on consulting and coaching and speaking. Wow. Okay, so what's really interesting for me is that, and that's part of the unconventional journey, is there's no path of purpose or journey of purpose that is in a product or a thing. It's, I think the purpose is something different, right? It's about, it's about what you get from the creation for solving problems. In fact, I think your title would be the professional problem solver, if you ask me. So that's what you get a kick from. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. I figured out way late in life <laughs> that what I yeah. really get fired up by is just helping other people. I do like solving sure. problems. I do like coming up with interesting solutions. Some of them could be considered innovative. Some of them are just how to solve a problem. But I really enjoy just helping people. I remember sure. when I was running my computer rental company, we had a customer that rented a bunch of computers. I happened to be in the owner's office. And on his walls were big posters of like Moet champagne and gold bars and things. And at first I thought, wow, this is a really interesting vision board. You're really clear on what you want to do. I also want to yeah. be wealthy. And then I thought about it and said, you know what? This is really bad. We're focusing on the wrong thing. That was a very enlightening yeah. moment for me. It's like, no, it's not about being wealthy. Maybe we get wealthy if we do well by people, but if our goal is just material wealth, then it's the wrong thing. Yeah. I believe that's the moment when I finally decided to sell my computer rental company, that it was no longer about the cash flow that I was generating and what I was doing. Yeah. It was, how can I do better? which is why once I sold the company, I spent the next four years building houses for Habitat for Humanity. Wow. So, so instead of running a business, I spent four years, I built a total of seven houses in those four years, which was wow. way more fulfilling than having a successful business. Sure, so that's the part of purpose that is giving a damn. So what do you give a damn about? Follow that stuff. Yeah. Wow, okay, and, and so that's a very far cry from what you always wanted to be when you were a kid, and that was a movie star, am I right in saying that? Yeah, I was born in a little town called Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the middle of the country, which's known as the flyover state. You know, everyone knows New York and L.A., but who knows about the, yeah. the little towns in the middle. I always wanted to be a star, but that was about me. That was about what yeah. I wanted. Uh, same thing with running my businesses early on. Those were about me to realize again, pretty late in life, that that was just the wrong way. It's not about yeah. me, it's never about me. It should always be about other people. So later businesses, yeah. later in life, I spent more time trying to help other people and do well by other people than it was, you know, how can I personally gain? So there's something interesting about that. So you're the youngest of four kids, right? Yeah, I am. Right, tell me about that experience. Well, you know, if you look at family photo albums, my oldest brother, yep. there's there's a hundred pictures of him, and there's one or two pictures of me. Now, the, my brother that's just a little bit older than me, when we were kids, we looked almost exactly alike. We looked like twins. So I'm not sure if yeah. those pictures are him or me. But by the time <laughs> my parents had me, you know, my parents both worked full time. So I guess today I would have been called the latchkey kid. 
I would come home from school and nobody would be home. And that was just normal for me. So from my perspective, my oldest brother got all the attention. By the time it got to me, my parents were just kind of done with being parents. Really done. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So can we make a natural assumption and say that part of the movie star alter ego is, is can I please have some attention for me? Can this please be about me? Absolutely. Right. It, it was all about yeah. me. Absolutely. Okay, and I think very often that is really looking for the limelight, looking for the attention. There's always something there, right? And then, and then the companies, as you said, that was all about it was about you, and it was about your need for to be seen and to become successful and to be something, right? The early companies, okay, absolutely, so, yeah. Okay, I know you said this a couple of times now that you think that you found this sense of purpose, or you learned some of these big lessons late in life. That really wasn't late in life. There are a lot of people that learn them 60s, 70s, 80s, this life is almost starting to wind down or before 2020 when you know, life doesn't never, never winds down anymore, I don't think. But you, know, it, it, you, you found them pretty early on in life, I think. And I think that's also part of the, the reason that I you know, look at what you've achieved and accomplished and look at that with huge respect because you, you discovered that quite early on. That's my Im impression or perception, Bob. Well, it was mid-30s. So if I had started earlier, I probably would have taken a different path than I ultimately did. So. Sure. Okay. Um, all right. So there's a sense of purpose helping people all the way through, right? And now in terms of what you do from a consulting and from a speaking point of view, it's the same thing. Am I right? Yes. It fills my need for excitement because I can come in riding in on my steed and, and solving problems and then riding away again. I don't have to get bogged down yeah. in any of the minutiae. But I can work on fairly large problems with the companies that I consult with. So it's okay. fun, it's exciting, and I get to help people. That's uh, it's an exceptional life. And um, Bob, tell me if one day you're no longer here, right? And um, somebody's standing up and talking about your life and celebrating Bob and everything you stood for. What would you most want to be celebrated for? That when somebody needed a hand, I was there to help. Wow. And I'm guessing there are going to be quite a lot of people at that celebration saying, I'm here because Bob helped me. Well, I'm hoping I'm going to outlive all of them. So we'll see. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right. And the sailing, are you still uh, currently still sailing? I am. Uh, not this year so much because with the pandemic, nobody wants to have people. You know, when we race, we're literally shoulder to shoulder. So all the yeah. big races around the world have all been canceled because of the pandemic. So this yeah. has not been a very good year for racing. Right. Okay. And in terms of your advice to anybody listening who's struggling with their own sense of purpose, their own journey of purpose, um, what would that be? You know, what gets you up in the morning? What are you really looking forward to? That's going to point very clearly to what it is that you really want to do. The other advice that I often hear, this comes from a, uh, a guy named Joseph Campbell who said, follow your bliss. And people have been misinterpreting that forever. The reason why if you go to any harbor, there's a whole bunch of fishing boats that never leave the dock because everyone says, I'm going to follow my bliss. I'm going to buy a fishing boat. But of course, I'm going to go broke because no one's going to go out fishing with me. It's not so much follow your bliss, but find bliss wherever you are. No matter what you do, if you can figure out what is fun, what's exciting, what's passionate about the parts that you're doing, even if you aren't excited about the, the overall job or uh, career, that's way easier and that's way more interesting than saying, well, I work in a factory. But what are you building in the factory? What are you making? What are you, how are you helping people in that factory? What is fun, exciting mm -hmm. about whatever it is you happen to be doing? 
So, so I find it very interesting because as you started that, I was about to stop you and say, but hold on two seconds, Bob. I'm sure a lot of people um, on this planet, people listening to the show, don't want to get up for something in the morning because they don't feel like they have got something to get up in the morning for. Where do you find bliss? Well, there's, there's not much about my life that that I feel is filled with bliss. So that answer really hits that spot. Um, find that stuff. So even if you think that you've got a, a dead-end job, even if you think that you are in somewhere where you're not happy, there have to be certain things about what you do that can, you know, is that feeling of bliss. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it's, okay, I'm going to go through this trudgery, but this trudgery is what feeds my family. This trudgery is puts a roof over my head. You know, the trudgery, you're making a, a widget, but that widget will somehow help somebody else and just connect the dots as what you're doing that may be mundane is really exciting for somebody else. And then imagine the people yeah. who don't have a job to get up to go to, you know, what's your life compared to theirs? You know, it's funny, uh, I talk to people and, and no matter how much people, how successful they are, there's always someone who's more successful. I remember I, I had a client, uh, a doctor who uh, owned six houses around the world, but he was mm -hmm. envious because he had a buddy who was a banker who owned a private jet. It's like, no matter how successful you are, there's somebody else always more mm -hmm. successful. But I think the other side of that is no matter how mundane your life is there's someone else whose life is worse than yours yeah that that is something i struggle with a bit uh, i'm happy to be honest here in that so my own struggles through brain cancer it, it it's quite hard when you're going through that and you really feel like a legitimate victim of this thing this thing that you can't change this thing that you can't see it's upended your life you've been told that your life has got a finite end and you know you're marching very quickly towards that it's very hard in that position to suddenly think, well, okay, there are people that are worse off here and there are people that have got worse cancers and there are people that have got, um, you know, in that moment of feeling like a victim and feeling like life is, we don't have much control over the stuff that, that is less than great. It's quite hard to feel like that. I would imagine this. I have not been in your position, but along those same lines though, you know that finite and it's maybe more defined than the rest of us. And that gives you opportunity to do something that much more valuable with that time you have left. So can you leave a mark on the world that's positive or you just can leave a skid mark as you, you know, slide into a grave? It's really your choice. Yeah. And from my perspective, yeah. you demonstrate it so well. I don't, I don't wish illness on anybody, but I am always impressed, enamored, whatever the right word is, that people who take essentially death sentences and do something positive with them and then you know, you look at the rest of us who don't have those who think well yeah you know you grew up in a middle-class neighborhood and you got an education and you know what are you doing with your life uh you're right i have been blessed better than some people not as well as others and i could just as easily you know live off whatever but i don't i try to do something valuable you were handed yeah. a gift you probably don't look at it that way. You were handed a gift no, and you're do. doing something with it. Other people just wallow in their pity. I think you said something brilliant. This is you know, one of your key tenets. If I could quote you, Richard, uh, the first time you're a victim after that, it's what? What do you say? You're a volunteer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. No, 
Uh, exactly right. So, uh, so you, it's not me. That was um, Naomi Judd that said that you can only ever be a victim once there after you're a, a volunteer. And that's uh, 100% correct. So for me, it was it was that case of in that place where I feel like a legitimate victim and I am, it is going to take some time to get up on the other side of that. But at some point in time, you've got to say, okay, I can't keep on thinking like this. I have to start thinking differently. What does that look like? That's when I learned that happiness is a feeling. That's when I learned that even... If I felt that I wasn't going to make it and cancer was going to get me, just waking up in my house and my two little girls were there, that's what happiness feels like. Um, so I agree with you uh, 100%. That, that for me, is a little bit different in that I'm not looking, I don't want to measure myself against other people and say, you know, somebody's got it worse than me. For me, it's rather in this moment of darkness, in this moment of life's on top of me, disruption, chaos, whatever that is, can I find the things that make me feel happy, that bliss? Um, so I think you, you, you bang on the mark with that one. Can I ask you a little bit? Um, I know that you speak, uh, you consult, you have a lot of experiences building companies, building businesses, this thing called purpose in business. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How important is that? How does one arrive at that place? And, and, and then lastly, so three things there, you know, how do we figure out what this is? How do we build something around that? And then how do we get everybody else on board? How do we get everybody else to align their own sense of purpose, whatever I can be the tea lady, how, how does my sense of purpose align itself with the organization's sense of purpose? So, so those three things. Let me start at the end. <clears throat> if we model what it is we're trying to see, I think people will pick up on it and repeat it more than if we try to tell them what to do. Let me give you an example. With my computer rental company, I hired a teenager named Bill. Bill's a you know, really good kid, when I hired him, but he's a teenager. What does he know? But he had this desire to know more and more about computer networking. Again, this is, you know, the late 1980s, so it's early in it's early in the field, but he wants to do really well. Well, Bill grew with the business. As a matter of fact, Bill grew better than the business. The computer rental company had an upper limit of what it was going to do. It wasn't going to get into really high-end networking. That wasn't the, the design of the company. That's not what the company provided. So Bill's skills mm. exceeded that needed by the company. I think yeah. many companies would go, oh, good, we have Bill around. Uh, we'll pay him what we can afford to pay based on the business we're in. And we'll take mm. advantage of Bill's excessive skills. I looked at it differently and said, you know, Bill... Um, you shouldn't work here anymore. You have skills that exceed what the company needs, which means you're limiting your own income. You should go find yeah. another job. Bill was afraid. He, he had some, some uh, confidence issues, so he didn't want to go look for another job, even though it was mm -hmm. in his best interest. If you're not interested in helping people, you would keep Bill on staff and take advantage of the situation. I went to Bill and said, look, in six months, you will not be working here, either because you found another job or because I'm going to fire you and force you to find another job. But in six months from today, oh. you will not be here anymore. You shouldn't be here. You deserve to be someplace bigger and better than what we can offer you. So Bill was mm -hmm. afraid. I said, you know, Bill, make appointments during the day, go on interviews, whatever you need. We will work our schedule around you. You deserve better than what we can offer you here. So Bill finally did find another job. He quit. He quit when I was on vacation for the first time in several years. 
<laughs> so the rest of my, my staff was panicking. What are we going to do without Bill? And I said, we'll, we'll be just fine. But Bill needs to move on. So to me, that is demonstrating the purpose, not just giving it lip service. I wanted to help other right. people, and that included somebody who, you know, as a teenager worked for me. I really like Bill. And if you're wondering, uh, that, that happened probably 30 years ago, and I still talk to Bill about once a month. Wow. So he went on, got sure. his absolute dream job, and he succeeded, and our company did not fail. We did not go into a tailspin. I was able to yeah. sell the company for a good price. And identifying that sense of purpose within a company? Yeah. Even the company wants to do the right thing, wants to do well, wants to help people. It's not just about selling more widgets. You know, yeah. really, if all you want to do is make money, then why don't you be an assassin or a drug dealer? You, you make a lot of money. There's, you know, really good retirement programs. So, you know, people yeah. can see that well and go, well, no, I don't want to do that because that's not really who I am. Okay, then who are you really? If you really ought to help people, then when you come across somebody who, you know, a struggling small business, for example, they may not be your first choice as a vendor, but if you're a purpose-driven company, you may go to that small business and say, look, we'll accommodate you, we'll prepay the order, whatever it is, we'll throw some business your way because you're struggling and you need the business and we can afford to maybe ease our requirements a little bit in order to accommodate you. Maybe yeah. you find a deserving organization that really could use your help, but they really don't have a budget. So that means you consult with them anyway at no charge, or you speak for them at no charge, or you provide them with the equipment or whatever it happens to be at no charge because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, there's a lot of companies that will buy from you and make you money. So your rent's covered, your payroll's covered, that's fine but we can still take some time and, and do some good. I remember when I was building houses for Habitat, we would go to bigger businesses around the area and we'd ask for money, but we'd also ask for volunteers. Why don't you send some people on a Tuesday afternoon and come out and yeah. you know build a wall or paint a wall or you know, pick up scrap wood or something just to help out. Yeah. And that's what happened all the time. People would pay their employees yeah. to come volunteer for a half a day or a day just so they could be part of building a house. To make a difference. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, Bob, if you had to give some advice to people that are listening in and are struggling with their own sense of purpose and they're floundering a bit and looking for direction, what would that be? Uh, it's never about you. It's always about the other person, the customer, the whoever you're helping, it's always about them. And the better you help other people, karma really does work, the better people will help you. So just looking for a place where you can help. Yeah. If you make it all about you, then that's who you'll attract. You'll attract other people who it's all about them. But if you make it all about other people, then you also attract uh, the other people. I know this is sounding like, um, you know, magnetic theory or whatever that's called. You know, I don't really subscribe to any of those things. I just look at it as this is what happens in real life. I'm going to agree with you 100%. It is really like that. And, and uh, I've seen it over this time, you know, paying it forward that uh, where you can help out. It doesn't come back from that person necessarily, but it always comes back at some point in time. It's just paying it forward, paying it forward, figuring out how can I help you? Uh, how can I make a difference? How can I make things easier for you? I see you, I recognize you, and uh, I'm here. Uh, and, and that for me has, has been, uh, been a big eye-opener. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny you use the term pay it forward. Nobody came up with that term and then started to demonstrate it. They saw it happening and put a name to it. <laughs> to it. Very true. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you so, so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you for your time, your insights, your wisdom, your experience. Uh, it's, it's been very, very valuable. And uh, just wishing you every success going forward. Bob's details are going to be in the show notes. So if you'd like to look him up uh, from a consulting point of view, from a speaking point of view, uh, you will not be disappointed. And um, Bob, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate the opportunity. Cheers. Thank you for staying right to the end of the episode and for joining me on the Enrichment Project. Before you go, please share this episode with your friends and your colleagues. They will thank you, I'm sure. Remember that you can catch each Path to Purpose episode by watching on YouTube or if you prefer, on your favorite podcast app. The link to my book, The Power of Purpose, is in the show notes. Please go and check it out. It's a rad account of my own story of purpose and resilience and my fight against brain cancer. I finished six full Ironman events, a number of multi-stage mountain bike races, nine Ironman 70.3 races, including the Ironman World Championships and a bunch of other endurance events, all with stage four brain cancer because I wanted it that badly and getting to the finish line meant that much to me. As a professional inspirational speaker, business and life coach, author and storyteller, I'd love to add more value to you or your organization. Please find more details on my website, IamRichardWright.com and book me today for a live or virtual keynote, a masterclass, workshop or coaching session or please follow my journey on Facebook, I am Richard Wright, Twitter, The Right Rich, Instagram, I am Richard Wright, or on LinkedIn. I'd love the opportunity to enrich your team. Thank you to the professional crew at Solid Gold Podcasts for the support, the talent, and the mad skills. And to Anna Hick for her creativity and genius video magic. Thank you. You all rock. Rock.